away from uh, Christmas Eve and then obviously Christmas Day following uh, our King, uh, is who we celebrate, who came and demonstrated to us what life should look like, what love should look like. Our King Jesus, who humbled himself, our Savior, who gave himself for us, and it is a blessing, it's a blessing to uh, worship him, to come together in his name. It's a joy and a blessing. It's a joyful time of year, if I'm honest uh, with you. Uh, this has been a busier year for me than, than last year was. Um, if you remember being here through the Advent season last year and uh, how many times I went to the mall and all of those things, it's busier. Um, and, and to be totally honest, I think partly this week I was grieving that a little bit, but it was... Um, but it was a good reminder for me in, in the midst of that, of just processing and thinking through what Jesus stepped into when he came to this earth. And so, yes, there are so many things that, that we celebrate in Christmas, and Christmas can be celebrated in, in many ways. I find great joy in all of the decorations and the music, and then even going to the mall, I love, love, love that during the Christmas season. There's also joy in the quiet, and there's joy in the busy, and easily distracted by many things, but Jesus doesn't change, and he is who we celebrate, and he's who we worship, and in all of that, there's joy. And the theme of the third week of Advent is that, it's joy. Remember, Advent is that time of longing and anticipation for the coming king. Working our way through uh, the book of Acts for the past few months and, and have remained in the book of Acts as we've gone through the weeks of Advent. We're going to continue in that today in Acts chapter 3 verses 24 through 26. So go ahead and turn there. As you get there, if you're able to, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read. Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so good to us. We see that in the text today. We see it in so many ways, Lord, that you have graced us again and again and again. But ultimately, Lord, you have graced us by sending Jesus. And so we praise you and we thank you. We ask you to help us, Lord. We really do want to have hearts that are receptive to who you are, to the gospel. And so we pray for your help in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'll say very briefly before we get to the content here, um, my kids go to Delaware City Schools, and so they've gone to Delaware City High School uh, as the high school. Our basketball team is doing very well, and that is why my voice sounds like this. So I apologize. I screamed my head off Friday night, and there you go. 
But I want to do a, a brief recap. How did we get here, okay? Because if you're visiting or if you're not visiting, we, we, we tend to have um, minds that, that come and go and drift and, and get distracted by many things. And so jumping into the middle or the end of a chapter can be um, what's going on, right? And so let's just kind of recap quickly. The book of Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And it's a continuation of that Gospel of Luke. That's what Acts is. It picks up where the Gospel left off. And so, at the beginning of the book of uh, Luke, Jesus has risen from the... or at the beginning of the, the book of Acts, Jesus has risen from the dead... He's with his disciples, and then with his disciples watching, he's lifted up before them and, and ascends to the right hand of the Father. Now, he had told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem, to remain there, to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And not long after he ascends, that happens. The Holy Spirit comes. The believers are all together, they're praying and worshiping, and the Holy Spirit comes on them, and it's an incredible scene. They keep worshiping, but they begin worshiping in languages that they've never spoken before and never learned before. It's this great miracle where they're all speaking these different languages. And remember, that wasn't just some pointless display of God's power. There's meaning to it. I'm not going to go through all of that sermon again, but it has to do with Jesus calling the nations to himself. It literally happens or begins to happen right there in Jerusalem. Jesus had told them that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that begins there at Pentecost. And so all these people who had come from what Luke describes as every nation under heaven are gathered there, now some living in Jerusalem or some who have come there to be a part of the feast, and they hear these followers of Jesus speaking in their own heart languages. And they're astounded. They're amazed. And so they begin to gather, and Peter preaches a sermon explaining what was happening, and that it was the fulfillment of promises that had been made in the Hebrew Scriptures, and that we are now in the last days. And at the end of the sermon, 3,000 people began following Jesus for the first time. They believed the evidence of His death and of His resurrection, and that He was the Christ. And then Peter and John were going up to the temple shortly after that to pray. It was a crippled man who begged for money from them, and instead of money, because they didn't have any money to give, they heal him in the name of Jesus. And again, people are amazed. They are astounded, and they all gather around Peter and John and the man who is healed, who's now leaping and jumping and praising God in the temple, and Peter begins to preach again, and that's where we are at here in Acts chapter 3. We're looking at the very end of that very short sermon that's going to be interrupted very soon. 
And the sermon is entirely one that says, from Peter to the people, this is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And in that focus, there is joy. Jesus is where we find joy. Last Sunday, we sang the Christmas hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And it's a song uh, that, that captures the heart of Advent. This longing for the King, the Christ, and remembrance of His birth. And in it, there's this line, joy of every longing heart. That's what I pray that we all experience this morning and throughout this season. If you're here, that you'll find that that longing that we all have in our hearts, we all experience that longing. It's only fully met through Jesus Christ, that He and He alone is the joy of every single longing heart. Whether we recognize it or not, whether we know it or not, that he is what we're longing for. We get a glimpse of that in the text today. Verse, verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also pre- proclaimed these days. Now remember, we're picking up in the midst of Peter's short sermon here. Peter says that all the prophets who spoke from Samuel and all those who came after him, they also proclaimed these days. So let's look at that. First, when Peter says, they also, he's continuing in what he's already said, where he had mentioned just before this already the words of Moses that spoke of Jesus coming. Now remember, Moses didn't know how the Messiah would come. Or what the Messiah would do. Or necessarily what would happen to him. But he knew that God would raise up someone after him. And that it was most important that people listen to that prophet. Peter's saying all these prophets from Abraham, Moses, Samuel, and on and on. They all spoke of a coming time where the Messiah would come and there would be times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. All the prophets predicted the Messiah's redemption in in some way. Peter, the, the same Peter who's speaking here in Acts, wrote two letters and in his first letter he writes these words in 1 Peter 1 verses 10 through 12, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. It's similar to what Peter's saying here in Acts in this sermon. Yes, these these men, they lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, but God used them to speak about one who was coming who would do extraordinary things, who would be the Christ. 
All these prophets who spoke of the coming of Christ, they didn't know the details about the Messiah. That's why as Jesus comes to the earth and walks, and, and you have all of these people who know the Scriptures far better than you and I know the Scriptures, could, could, could speak the Scriptures far better than you and I know them. How they could possibly know the Scriptures so well and yet miss the fact that Jesus was the Messiah to the extent where they, Peter's already said in his sermon, they choose a murderer to be released and Jesus to be crucified. Because they didn't, they didn't, they didn't anticipate this humble servant who would give his life. What they were expecting in their minds was a political power They knew the Messiah was coming. And some of them knew at least somewhat that he would be a servant. But mostly they just knew that they were writing about things that would take place sometime. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. That's longing. That's, that's what Peter in 1 Peter 1 is writing about. That's, that's longing. We long. For this one to come. We long for this king. Just pause and imagine that. These writers were writing such hopeful things. Joyful things. That they would never experience. Moses writing about someone who would come. Or speaking about someone who would come. And he would never experience that. Isaiah would never experience it. But they knew they were writing on behalf of of others. They wanted it. They needed it. They longed for that day when the Messiah would come and God's grace would saturate the world in a way that had never, ever happened or had never been experienced. Now, how can we experience that kind of longing today? Is it even possible? And I would say to you, yes, absolutely it's possible to experience that kind of longing for the Messiah. Because there are still promises that have been made about the Christ. Promises that tell us He's coming back and that heaven and earth are going to come together and God will dwell with us forever. Something that we have never experienced before. Something we should long for. So imagine for a moment the joy that will be experienced when that longing is fulfilled. Imagine the joy of when that promise comes true. Overwhelming and everlasting joy. Peter's saying the last days have come. The Messiah has come and he died and was raised from the dead. And anyone, everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Anyone who stops living for themselves and trusts in Jesus and lives for him, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. We talked last week about how that brings us peace, peace that only can come through Christ, but it also brings joy. 
the joy of every longing heart. And Peter says that longing has been for centuries and is now fulfilled in Jesus. All those prophets spoke of it. Think of Samuel and how in the book of Samuel we're told that a future king from David's line would come and his kingdom would be everlasting. And Peter's saying, the time has come. Continues in verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Remember in verse 23, where we ended last week, Peter gives them a warning. He says, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, he's speaking of Jesus, shall be destroyed from the people. But that warning is not the final word from Peter. He turns again to the positive, appealing to them, calling them. And he appeals to them based on their privilege, their privileged status in God's redemption. He calls them sons of the prophets and of the covenant. In other words, he's saying to them, look how blessed you are. You're heirs of these prophets who spoke, heirs of the covenant that was given through them. He's appealing to them. He's, he's, he's calling them Believe. Believe because this is who you are. What a privilege that you are part of this line, he's saying. Believe. Now, what covenant does he refer to? The covenant that God made with Abraham and, and the other fathers, the prophets of Israel. And that covenant is this, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. They're members, these Jewish people are members of the covenant that God made with Abraham. The sermon that Peter's giving here is full of joy. A man has been healed. He hadn't been able to walk his entire life. He'd been carried everywhere his whole life. And instantly he's healed in the name of Jesus and up and walking and leaping as he worships the Lord. And people are amazed and Peter's pointing, pointing, pointing them to Jesus and calling them to follow Jesus and experience that joy that can only be found in Him. You notice the promise to Abraham that he says here, in your offspring, that's the offspring of Abraham. And ultimately, it refers to Jesus. That He's the offspring that was promised through Abraham it would bless everyone. But also it's what Peter's saying here. Hey, that's about your people. That's what Peter's saying. You're the sons of the prophets and of the covenant. Jesus is from your line. He's the fulfillment of the covenant that you're a part of. The covenant continues, though, because it also says all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham, through your offspring, through your line, through your people, not just Jewish people, but all people will be blessed 
through your offspring. Peter's saying that's going to begin happening before your very eyes. He tells them that they're sons, but also that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Jesus who has healed the man that's standing before them. That's joy. And then lastly, verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I truly think this is the fullness of joy in Peter's sermon. And I hope in mine today, the truth in this verse should lead us to joy. This is the joy of every longing heart. Peter says in this one short statement, incredible things that God has done and continues to do. First, he says, God raised up his servant. Now, who is that servant? That servant we learned last week is Jesus. The servant is Jesus. God raised Jesus up. Ultimately, he raised him from the dead. You remember that expression, servant, used about Jesus is taken from Isaiah 52 and 53. Isaiah speaks of the servant who's going to come and bear the iniquity of his people. Bear the sin of his people. Isaiah says that this servant will be high and lifted up and shall be exalted, but that first he will be despised and rejected, that he'll bear their griefs, that he'll carry their sorrows. This servant will be stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, that he'll be pierced for our transgressions, that he'll be crushed for our iniquities, that he's going to take upon himself the chastisement that brings us peace. It's about Jesus. And it speaks about his suffering and death long before it happened. Jesus was tortured and crucified. And through that punishment, he bore our sins. Not his own sins, he bore our sins. Second, it says he sent his servant to the Jews first. Again, the prophet Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus stepped foot on this earth. In chapter 49, verses 5 and 6, and now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, I'll make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So Isaiah, hundreds of years before, is saying that the Lord sends his servant to, to restore the tribes of Jacob. And there's a purpose in that. Peter makes that clear. The purpose is that they would be a light to the Gentiles. That what? That, that all would know the glory of God displayed most fully through His servant, Jesus. 
Remember when Jesus was an infant presented at the temple. Simeon takes up Jesus in his arms and declares concerning this this baby. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He's quoting that text, referencing that text from Isaiah 49. It's Jesus. And lastly, Peter says that God sent Jesus to them to bless them. Jesus came to bless. Now, how does Peter specify here that Jesus is going to bless them or bless us? By turning every one of you away from your wickedness. Now listen, that's wonderful. You know, Graham sharing just a moment ago when, when someone first shared the gospel with him and, and said to him, you have, to, you have to give up your sin. And he ran from that. Because in our, in our selfishness, in our flesh, that sounds like a terrible thing. It sounds like something we don't want to do. But what Peter's saying is here, here is that's true blessing. That's true blessing from God. That he would allow you and cause you to turn away from your wickedness. That's true blessing. Why? Because it doesn't mean you're turning away from what is fun in your life to a mundane life of attending church. That's not the picture here. He came to turn you toward something. And more specifically, towards someone. To Jesus. To Jesus. And He is true joy. Psalm 1611 that we we read together earlier. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of of joy are at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In other words, with you, Jesus, there's more joy than any joy that I could ever experience with any other thing in the world. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus is teaching. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Why? Because he knows that the treasure is in the field. And if he gets the field, he gets the treasure. And the treasure is Jesus. And so it's worth it to him. It's worth it to go and get rid of everything else to get this treasure, which is Jesus. Jesus came to turn your hearts to Him. Not just away from things, but to Him. If you don't know that joy, and you want to know what it's like, I want to encourage you to do something. Don't look at the church first. The church is meant to be a display of, of the goodness of God. 
But first and foremost, look at Jesus. Go to the Gospel of Luke and just read about him. I want to say this to every one of us. Whether you confess to know him or not, just go to the Gospel of Luke and just just read about Jesus. Read about the joy that he brought to people. People who really encountered him, what joy he brought to them. Go to Jerusalem and look how he was treated and how he looked at his accusers with grace and forgiveness. Go to him and behold what joy truly is. Jesus and Jesus alone is the joy of every longing heart. And one of the ways we remember that, each and every week we, we have a part of our service where we're, we've set apart where we take the bread and the cup and it's, it's something that Jesus commanded us to do. Paul expounds on that. Jesus, when he was with his disciples in the upper room, he took bread, he took the cup and he said, as, as often as you do this, when you take the bread, do it in remembrance of me. Remember that my body that's what this bread represents, was broken for you. When you take the cup, remember that my blood was literally poured out for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, Jesus says, remember that I, as a servant, was punished for your sins. He says, remember that. And Paul, expounding on that, says, as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim it. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We should never proclaim the Lord's death in sadness. I just don't know how that works. It's the most joyful message ever proclaimed. I've said this again and again. We should be the most thankful people on the planet. And as we remember, as we're taking bread that, that symbolizes Jesus, someone else, someone else was punished for the things that I've done. As we take a cup and we think someone else willingly laid down his life so that I could go free, so that, so that it could be said of me, there's, there's therefore now no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Someone else did that. As often as we take the bread and we take the cup, we ought to do it proclaiming the Lord's death to one another with joy and thankfulness, remembering it's Jesus. The joy of every longing heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're so good to us. You're so kind to us. God, you've demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were against you, 
We weren't seeking you. You sent Jesus to rescue us. To rescue us from ourselves. To rescue us from our selfishness. And so, Father, help us in these, in these moments now as we approach the front to receive the bread and the cup and we go back and, and we sing and think about, remember that you were sacrificed for us willingly, Lord, that you did that for us. Lord, let there be joy in our hearts. Not, not manufactured joy, Lord. Joy that, that truly comes from you. That comes from knowing the king of the universe. Be glorified, we pray, through us in that, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.